Hello, everybody. Welcome to Sonic Talk, episode 712, recording today, Wednesday, the 27th of April. As we head towards May and the inevitable onslaught of Superbooth, which we're getting very excited about, I think, uh, well, so I know a couple of our guests are definitely going, uh, but this is a music technology podcast. We talk about all things to do with the production, the creation, the recording, uh, the making, the streaming, the distribution, every kind of digital or analog part of that process process and some workflow stuff aesthetic whatever it all comes down to the same thing you'll be hopefully entertained for the next hour please do subscribe uh ring the bell and all those things you will probably be watching this on youtube and twitch or uh twitter not twitter what am i talking about facebook um you can also join us on patreon where you get the pre-show uh there's a pre-show today i was uh, going over my weekend gig which was with the will gregory moog ensemble at the british library i've had a couple of clips and was just talking about that so if that's of any interest to you please head over to that and uh, join us and if you're quick you may be able to get to uh, um, have your name in lights at the end of the show because it sort of automatically does all of that anyway um, I want to say thank you to our, our supporters we have got Baby Audio and Isotope uh, we'll have messages from them a little later on Baby Audio plugins you can use a code ST15 at checkout save 15% and Isotope you can use um, Sonic 10 to save 10% on any other purchase so uh, save and educate that's the, the way we do it anyway let's uh, say hello to our guests i'll start over to my right uh where we have mr matt hodson who is a uh, educator modular performer uh producer all those things i know you've because uh, you had a bit of a slow start to the year with covid and all those things so you haven't done your track a month but are you back on track no. creatively matt yet yes i am i'm back in action making music um doing one track a month for the past year was full on and it was really good and i had really good response and but um a lot of the people now who are subscribing to me and whatever are always are now asking for eps and albums funny enough so i'm i'm working on a full length album i think which i'll just i'll drop in a couple of months i guess or something like that um along with a little tour around the uk if i can whoa uh, to promote that so yeah very much back in the game now and buying more ridiculous modules that i don't need and oscillators that i don't need but you know but this oh um, dear you're on the I wrong show I, mate <laughs> i think yeah. there might be something on here that might might tempt you you never know <laughs> yeah we should we should just do a whole show in fact I've, seen, I've been seeing a lot of youtube videos recently on um gas gear acquisition syndrome and and all that kind of thing and um I'm sure we could really talk about that all day long and, um, you know, how that affects us as music makers and impacts on the workflow and, and all that kind of thing. So but that's maybe for another day. But thanks well, for having me. It's good to be back. You're welcome. And, of course, Matt... Uh, Matt can be found at Maths, 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 uh, which says uh, over there in his lower third. Uh, well, that's Gaz, though, but we'll come to you anyway. Gaz Williams is there uh, looking very cool in his aviators. Uh, it's okay. not because he's too cool for, for school. It's because he's got an, an eye eye infection or so, of some such. He doesn't want to yeah, scare, them, scare the children. Thing, yeah. Yes, yeah. definitely thinking about uh Everybody else rather than myself. Uh, good to be here. Uh, very excited to be here. Um, loads of cool things to talk about that I'm sure we'll address shortly. So um, it's that time of year, isn't it? You know, approaching Superbooth and all these kind of stuff. I mean, Matt things was just talking about up. 
gas, you know, and my goodness, I know some of the things we're going to talk in about today, I've definitely got the gas for. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a good point about gas being something that does kind of get in the way of the creative process. Very good point. Um, but yeah, but yeah, excited. It's a uh, super booth. Wow. I am going to be there. I'm going to be, I'm going to make super booth. Uh, oh, find, fantastic. I, yeah. Hey. I'm on tour and I've just managed. So, I'm, you know, this is hoping that all the flights, everything works. So, you know, going to have to be on a wing and a prayer slightly, I think, to, um, but I'm just going to make it for the first day. Uh, ah, right. Excellent. Um, yeah. And as I always say, everyone should go to Superbooth. You know, I'm busting a gut to go to Superbooth. So, you know, and I'm really r running the gauntlet to do it as well. So whatever excuse you've got, it's not as big an excuse as <laughs> you're running. You're running the gauntlet of uh, budget airline flights and very tight yeah. schedules, which is always very risky. <laughs> anyway, Gaz, lovely to have you streaming tonight. Um, I haven't decided. I might decide by the end of the show if, if that's all right. Oh, okay. That's fine. Well, yeah. It's to your audience. Ah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I understand what you're saying. Uh, you will have to work. You won't have a, a stereoscopic uh, vision. Everything will be kind of one-dimensional. It <laughs> might be quite hard to operate complicated machinery. Anyway, uh, lovely to have you. And, of course, uh, our next guest, uh, well, he doesn't need any. He needs no introduction. We have uh, Heinbach is here for the first time uh, live from Berlin. Heinbach back it's lovely to see you how are you i'm uh, very fine thanks for having me it's lovely to be here i thought for a minute you were going to say it's great to be back just for the uh just unless you have me a second time then then if you have me a second well i think we've worked so uh you of course are well known for all of your uh creative output your program your sound libraries your collaborative plugins and stuff i mean you're a one busy guy uh how do you find the time even to do this I just make time. Like one of the best things about what I do is that I every day I can basically decide what I want to do. So especially with the YouTube videos, sometimes I just feel like not doing one. Sometimes I feel like doing one. And what that video is, is usually something I don't even know that day. It's just something where I feel like, oh, yeah, maybe this, maybe this. It's very easy for me to yeah, just decide what I want to do. And then, of course, I've got these fixed things where it's like, OK, this time, this time and this time. But I can work around that. So, yeah. And I don't have any other hobbies. <laughs> no hobbies. <laughs> well, that that's always a plus. Uh, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. It's interesting that because I know a lot of, uh, well, certainly some YouTubers and some people who produce a lot of content. I don't know if it's we we count amongst them, but quite a lot of people work to quite tight briefs and they not fully script, but they really prepare rather than just turn a camera and go. I'm a sort of. I sometimes I do that, and sometimes I, I uh, I just go. Oh, I'm going to do something about this now, and I do it, and it works out fine. But it's really, it's an interesting thing. It's nice to have the freedom to be able to do it whichever way suits you, right? Absolutely. And I mean, for some videos, I work on these for a long time because they take a lot of preparation. I'm just working on something where I had to get dub plates made. And that, of course, takes planning and time and then do some research. But uh, that can run along while other quick projects just happen. And yeah, that's the beauty of it, I think fast yeah. quick projects and these long term like okay this will take like 
three to five months to do or six months, like a plugin, for example. Or It's know. the polymetric create, creative cycle. We run them together. I think that's, yes. I, I, might, I might use that for the show title. Polymetric, that might be a bit too long or some variant of that anyway. <laughs> I'm not sure where we'll go with it. Anyway, we do, as Gaz said, we do have news. And I guess the first one, I mean, this is, Whenever Teenage Engineering release anything, there's always a bit of a stir. So let's have a look at this one. This is the T Teenage Engineering TX6, which is a teeny tiny little field mixer. And uh, I got really excited about this because this is exactly what we've been looking for for our live productions, purely because we need a portable mixer with scenes, but then I realized it didn't record, which was just a, such a I was so, It was so, so close for me. If there was an SD card record, I'd be that in the mixer because we need we need separate feeds. And I was just like, ooh. And yeah, I know it's 11.99 US dollars. That is an enormous amount of money, but it is actually aluminium. I'm going to say it in the British way. And, uh, you know, carved from aluminium. And it's got, actually, it's got a, an element of the Nagra about it. So I thought maybe it would be something that you would really, really feel gas for. Uh, or maybe I'm wrong. I was exactly in the same camp as you. Like, I saw this and I was like, oh, this is amazing, but it doesn't record. So. Yeah, that's why I'm not so super excited about it. Even though I love the looks, I love the style, and I, th I, I just would love to get my hands on it and hold it in my hands because that's one thing that Teenage Engineering get really well with all their higher price synthesizers and products is just the feeling. You want to hold it, you want to play it, and that's something I'm really looking forward to at Superbooth. Probably they will be there and have it. That would be lovely to, yeah. To really yes get in my well they were I, I booked an appointment today <laughs> and i'm yeah. gonna go and see them so yeah definitely gonna see that i did get very excited about it i mean i, I think there's some interest a bit i think you know because it's got not only has it got uh um uh you know the the six stereo channels it's also six usb returns so it works as a, an audio interface uh but it's got and i think perhaps this was a little unnecessary it's got a synth and a drum machine in it which i you know it's like i'd much rather have the mixer recording than that but i don't know if that's you know uh, it probably wasn't an either or all situation because one's hardware and one's software implementation i suppose but uh hey i don't know um gas i know we have differing uh viewpoints on some of the teenage engineering products yeah. but i mean this does it's a, it does look like a very desirable thing even though there are a couple of issues i don't know did you see that the, the on off switch seems to be really big and looks like it's really easy to knock uh, right. which i thought not sure about that that seems a little bit uh, yeah. a bit dodge i don't know what do you think though well, yeah, the OPZ uh, or the OPZ for our American friends, uh, the OPZ has that kind of very, um, pr you know, prone control for turning it on and off and the volume control sticking out the side. Uh, I've got one here. It hasn't broken in all the time I've had it. So I'm imagining uh, that it'll be pretty robust. Um, this is a really lovely thing. I completely echo the thi uh, both Heimbach and yourself um, with the, the recording functionality missing off there. That does seem... Such a shame. Anyway, I won't dwell on that because that's been covered. But um, there are a bunch of those interesting things that Teenage Engineering typically do on their products. Uh, for instance, you know, you turn this on its side and then I think is it fader number six becomes a crossfader. So you can use it as a DJ mixer. Um, 
you know, it's just kind of cool. And there's a whole bunch of things about this which make it really, really attractive. I've been looking for a small form mixer like this. I'm, what have I got? Um, I've got a blue box. Uh, just I think you can just about see it by there. Um, mm. Uh, which does record, however, doesn't have batteries, but runs on the USB. So you can use it remotely with the, you know, the slight inconvenience of a USB cable. Um, and actually, there's a few similarities with, um, with with the Blue Box and this one. I mean, the Blue Box is uh, less than half the price of it. Really well made. Uh, not as, you know, not an extruded, you know, not quite the same probably build quality no, as uh, well a big touch screen though yeah so that makes a big touch screen and also it's got the six it's got the six mini jack inputs which are stereo but you know if you use splitters you can run it as a 12 channel uh mixer and the blue box can be configured to be any combination of stereo or mono channels as you see fit um now i've been poring over the information that's available on this uh, this new teenage engineering um mixer uh, you can look at the screens uh on the website and see all yes most, you know the yeah the screens that might be quite a good image to get up if you can nick because i'll see what i could do i think i yeah. did put the pdf I, if, if the yeah. browser in this will read it let's have a look it's on the website uh, um uh, yeah if that'll load can, yeah, if yeah, you pull, if you come down there, we can see all of the screens. There we go, and then those screens then kind of give us a little bit of an indicator of what is what it's capable. of. Looks like a game of online uh, um, <laughs> solo. What's the what's the card game? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, each of the channels has um, like a three band EQ and compressor. So again, there are. So has the blue box. The blue box is clearly the most comparable um product uh you know when you when you look at these two and uh so i think that you know for, i think that that's quite an interesting one uh but it definitely um makes the teenage engineering one seem just that bit too expensive i do think however though that everything's custom made it's going to be an expensive thing to make um yeah what I was wondering about, though, is like when you look at that, uh, the big volume control, and I think it's that got a full size jack input on that goes actually into the volume control. I couldn't quite work that out. Um, but I was really kind of curious if they, you know, how, you know, if it will drive a decent pair of headphones, if it's, you know, uh, I, I've been looking lately. I, I've got a pair of planar headphones now, and I've been finding that I can't drive them properly with most of the things that I have here. So I've been looking at getting a standalone headphone, like a portable headphone amp, one of these iFi ones, maybe. Uh, and that, that it took me to a product called the iFi Griffin, which looks really nice, but that's around 600 quid. And I kind of thought, oh, it's a bit yeah. too expensive. Um, but it, there are, a, you know, there's a few similarities between that and potentially this. So I would think if that, if this has got a really juicy um, headphone amp on it, if it could drive some good cans with it, and mm. also if you'd sort of hope it would, wouldn't you? Because I mean, yeah, yeah we're. Yeah. Or are we just paying a price for the design now rather than the actual features, mm -hmm. which I, I do suspect that that's sometimes what we do pay for with the teenage engineering yeah. stuff. Not mm -hmm. everything is as beautifully, wonderfully functional uh, and also built as the OP1. There's a kind of wide range of, of possibilities between those things. So I would hope so, definitely. Point. 
Yeah. So that's what I'd like to see with it. I'd like to see if that if it's got really good converters and if it's got a really good headphone uh, driver. And then yeah. even so, I think it's still out of my price point. Yeah, it's for me. I don't know, Matt. I mean, it, it's one of those things. It's, it's a kind of, it's an aesthetically pleasing thing that that you could you could almost forgive for not doing this stuff because I suspect when it's in the hand, it might be beautiful, even though you need special cables to be able to fit mini jacks next to each other, <laughs> even more yeah. so than the blue box. Yeah, I, and when I'm buying for stuff for my studio or um, working on location, I'm not I'm not buying stuff for aesthetics. I'm I'm really not. I'm I'm buying it for functionality, ease of use, sound quality, all these kind of things. So it is easy to get lost with the the look of this. It is beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. You know, um, you know, but it's it's not perhaps something that I would I would use because of what we've talked about so far. I won't go through those again. But what I do love about this, it seems to be with this the blue box. The Expert Sleepers ES9 is this move away from the traditional 19-inch rack unit sound card, um, sort of very static in that you just plug stuff into it and there's an on switch. You know what we've got here is built-in compression and EQ on all the channels and that kind of thing, which we're seeing more and more of on these sound cards. Mm. Um, but I love this sort of these these steps we're making towards more portability in highly flexible multi-track sound cards. I like this. I like where we're going on this journey. We just haven't got it right yet. You know, if to to, to work on such a small screen for me, it, it's the same with the OP One. It's just not going to work in my workflow. I like big knobs and dials, and yeah. Um, you know, I'd, where would I use this? I'd probably use this if I was uh, doing a podcast with someone. I wanted to multi-track the audio to my phone or to my iPad. Or if I was um, working, doing some pre-production with a band, I usually spend a week in the studio with a band first, work through the songs. I'll multi-track them, bring them home so I can chuck them into a DAW. And it means I don't need to cart around my laptop. But, you know, this has got things, again, there's things missing from this, the ability not to record to it. It's got MiFi, so instead of being able to, instead of using that small screen, why can't I control the inside of it using an iPad interface? Well, you may, you may be able to at some point, I suppose. You just don't, it, not, Possibly. not I, I haven't seen that though. I haven't seen mm. it on the, on the website. You can connect things to it um, over Bluetooth and, and what have you. But um, if that's not something you can do, then again, that, I mean, that would be brilliant. If you could, you could pick up your iPad, connect it to that, control everything from there because there's no way I'm working with that little screen to, to do that. The ES9's a beautiful thing as well. And the converters on this are, are absolutely brilliant. He, um, sorry, Oz from Expert Sleepers did a really good AB between these and some very high-end converters. And I think we're going to talk about this later on with the Cherry Audio stuff, but um, it's negligible now in terms of yeah. that quality, I think, that you, you're getting. And um, this is... 14 inputs and eight out CV or audio or a mixture of, and then you can obviously got eight out so you can expand it stereo out uh, left and right and a headphone and a dial. You know, if you put this in a little skiff um, you could even battery power that skiff. You could use this for, uh, you know, 14 tracks, multi-track. So yeah, I like where we're heading in this direction. I'm looking forward to see what's coming in terms of very portable 
uh, mixes mm. and things. But um, I don't. I think I that. Think yeah, I, I think the problem I've got is we have a we have a real edge case because while we're setting up for the Superbooth thing, it's like what I want is a mixer that I can mix items into the camera that I can record yeah. that I have. But we're also going to be doing some live streaming. For the live streaming, we need stuff that's not. Yeah, that needs to go to the camera, but not to the recorder or to the recorder in the camera. We need that bussing, and there's just nothing out there that does it. And unless we start spending similar amounts of money on an analog devices, mic, mic pre, you know, a pre, whatever they're called, and then that, you know, I, if I was going to spend a grand, I'd probably get an analog devices. Um, but the problem with that is the battery life's terrible on them. Whereas this might have much, you know, and it's big and heavy, and you don't want to be standing up here holding a camera with a massive recorder on the bottom of it. A little recorder that's that big, mm, yes, please. You know, there's logistical elements to it, and I, I guess you know, it just feels like another reason, sort of almost not to use a, a DSLR. Just get phones, even though we've just kitted up for this. It's just the way it goes. I know, I mean, it's it's a shame, isn't it? Do you, what do you? I mean, I know you've got that beautiful Nagra SN, that um, or, or the the little tiny thing. I mean, what do you use for portable recording? Do you have a kind of go-to thing? Uh, yes. Usually, I just recorded a full record, uh, which I, for the third time, on my uh, Sony D100. You know, that little Sony recorder, that handheld yeah. one? Yeah. So that's, I love the sound of that. First time I heard it, I was like, this is this portable recorder? Wonderful. Is it, and also can use is it, it for bit stream? recording. Is it, is it the no, bitstream No, Sony thing, D100. Right, okay. It's an old Sony, like, handheld recorder. Do I have it here anywhere? <laughs> Nah, not lying around anywhere. But it's like a portable recorder. Sadly, they discontinued it. Audio quality, fantastic mics. Very simple, just stereo in. And yeah, fantastic mics. And I use that to record like, yeah, albums, especially the ambient stuff. And sometimes I even prefer the sound of it to like my RME interfaces in certain cases because they have a certain warmth to them that I really enjoy. Nice. Yeah, well, I suppose it's, yeah, it's horses for courses and... It's just it, it's it's so disappointing when you see something that's almost perfect for what you need and doesn't. I find you know as we as I have more and more specific edge case uses, I'm finding that I find that there's something that does what I need, but that wasn't what it was designed for. You know, you just figure out oh I could use it that way, and it's it's I want something that's designed that would be perfect. But yeah, um, Redwalk says uh, how about an H6, Nick? Yes, it's fine. The problem with H6 is form and function because yeah. H6 you have to turn it that way. We've got, I use H6s and we do use them, but they're, they're no good because they mount upright to be able to see everything. And that's just, it's just, and they're quite hard and fiddly to use live. Yeah. So uh, maybe we need to relook at that. I don't know. It's a possibility. But uh, as you look, oh, yeah, yeah what's that? That one's the Zoom H8, which is the kind of, uh, you know, it's got the touch screen on there. And Has it got mixer presets in it? Uh, you, you mix the presets. Yes, actually, are they presets? You can. They, it uses this thing. I know that the new Tascam uh, one does a similar thing, where it uses this kind of app idea idea, where f that you can um, that you can uh, choose particular apps. So there's like a field recorder app. There's a, a music ah. app. And if you go to the music app, then yes, there is like a kind of mixer, like, and that mixer that gives you um, that gives you EQ and effect sends on. Each yeah, channel. that's what we, we and, need. That and we need we need we presets for our needs. Hang on but, and look, projects. I think you can save it as a as a project. Yeah, so that would be so you could save a project as like a. Uh, 
that would be mm, like a maybe that's where we need to look. Yeah, I think we're so di- we're so tied in with the, the Tascam D uh, DR70D, which is flat, and you mount it on the camera, and you can put the yeah. whole thing down, and it will just sit there on the table, won't fall over, and it's yeah. perfect. It's absolutely perfect. So yeah, but hey, you know, it'll come one of these days. Anyway, um, I should probably just interject here. We have a, a message from our friends over at uh, Isotope. Uh, it's time we heard from the uh, Grammy-winning Prince. Charles Alexander. So let me just uh, bring that up so that we can say uh, thank you and you can find out all about the Isotope Music Producers Club. Isotope Producers Club is a one of a kind membership for producers ready to take their tracks to the next level. Once you join, you'll gain access to powerhouse Isotope plugins and a curated selection of tools from our partners, such as Melodyne from Celimony. Plus, as long as you're a member, you'll get every future update to the Isotope plugins in your membership for no extra cost. We'll also regularly serve you new curated content like exclusive inspiration-sparking sample packs and preset packs and industry-leading training ranging from our own tutorials to vocal production lessons from the world-renowned Berkeley Online, taught by Grammy-winning producer and engineer, Prince Charles Alexander. With new content being added every month full of valuable production techniques, tips and tricks, and solutions to common production problems, becoming a member is an investment in your career that grows as you and your career do. For more information on Isotope Producers Club, head to isotope.com. And once again, we thank them for their support. And in fact, if you head over to isotope.com forward slash Sonic Talk, look, we have our own special landing page and you can use the code SONIC10 to claim 10% off uh, your Isotope plugin purchase or any music production suite pro thing. Anyway, uh, you can get that for three for 30 days. Anyway, we thank them once again for their uh, continued sponsorship. Right, I'm trying to figure out where to go next. There's just so many things to look at. I mean, it's just kind of, wow, it's a little bit hard. To, uh, it's a bit overwhelming. I wonder if we should um, look at, uh, hmm, should we look at the Juno? Because that's, that's sort of fairly hot off the press, isn't it? And I suppose it makes a lot of sense. So let's just take a look. This is the new Roland Juno X which is another Zencore-enabled. Uh, That's not it. What am I talking about? That's not it. Where did it go? There it is. God oh, damn. Sorry about that, folks. Button malfunction. Hi, I'm David yeah, Juno. Roland, and this is the Juno X. I mean, that looks so much like a 106. It's, you know, they really have gone for the... Uh, the vintage vibe with the screen and everything. Yeah, this is the news, new Juno 106, or Juno 6, I do beg your pardon, that's a Freudian slip there. It's another Zen, it's a sort of Zencore hardware wrapper, uh, it seems the same engine, but the controls differ, you know, which is what we're seeing now. Um, which, I'm not sure how I feel about that. I mean, I think they've made it look lovely. It looks very desirable. It's got multiple synth models, pianos, drums, kitchen sink, vocoder, five parts, one rhythm, uh, Bluetooth, channel aftertouch, and number of voices is not specified, but it's, it's a pretty Pretty cool 2000 bucks, which seems to be about the sort of price for the anything that's got more than 49 keys from Roland at the moment with the Zencore engine. It's an interesting one, this, because I remember they were very much criticized with the Jupiter 80 or the JP80 for sort of excavate, exhuming the corpses of their, their, their dead relatives. And it, <laughs> I know that's, that's probably a little bit uh, extreme, but in fact, this is even more, I mean, this looks more traditionally Roland than anything else. And I suppose in many ways, it's what people were asking for. But now it's here. Is it what they want? I don't know. Hi, Matt, what do you think? 
I was just thinking with, I was still a keyboard player in a band, like I used to be like 15 years ago or something. I would have actually loved this because I went on stage once with the Juno 60 and it was one of our biggest shows it was like 3,500 people, open air. We are basically opening up for the streets uh, here in Berlin. And we started playing and my Juno started to go out of tune. I was playing the bass. So the drummer started looking at me, the singer started looking at me, and I was like, if you know the tune, it has this tiny little retune yeah. here. So I I played the roads with my right hand and held the note, and then I would tune, play the bass, and I would tick, 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 and it was a losing battle. And in the end, oh I discovered that simply the pitch band wheel had gotten knocked loose in travel. So that was a completely... I felt like I, fa I failed that show completely. It's one of my biggest life fails and one of those moments where I was like, I don't like being on stage anymore. I hate this. So <laughs> something like this, if I was still in a, in a, in a band like uh, playing with other musicians uh, like that, uh, pop music, I would probably be all about something like this. But for the studio, I've got a Juno 60 here, so it doesn't really interest me. So, but... Yeah, it's, it's an intro. Very happy. I mean, I can totally understand. I mean, it's the load of stuff. And we know the Zencore engine sounds fantastic. Um, it's just that there's no difference between this. I mean, and, the you know, there's a key to the AX1, uh, Gaz, that you reviewed. It's got the same engine in it, you know. So, as would a laptop with Roland Cloud, maybe, you know. It, so, the differentiator is now really the hardware that seems to be, uh, you know, connected to it, rather than perhaps what's going on in terms of synthesis. Or maybe I'm misunderstanding. Maybe you have a, a clearer understanding. Um. I, I, that's a very good point. I've been trying to get to the bottom of that. I'm wondering if this is, you know, if this has a sort of separate sound engine or, I mean, the idea of the uh, Zencore, this whole joined up world is quite appealing. Um, however, does that mean that this is sort of just, just like another portal into that, you know, with a different you know, array of controls? However, I mean, what is it? Is 61 keys? Um, yeah, it sort of ticks a lot of boxes of what people have been asking for. I mean, I have noticed a lot of people having a grumble about it already, but I kind of thought, well, this is a it's it's offering an awful lot, isn't it? For um, yeah, I mean, it's not particularly cheap. I don't think I think it's probably priced probably fairly. Um, what's it around seventeen hundred? I think uh, so. You know, certainly not. And I thought that was quite interesting because when Roland brought back the Juno name, uh, Juno was always their lower price range, wasn't it? Um, so when they brought back the Juno, what, maybe 10 or so years ago, they were much more like budget instruments. So this being sort of like £1,700 puts it more into a kind of premium zone. Um so I thought that was kind of curious. Uh, I'm really allowed to say I've always thought that 106 is an ugly pig anyway. <laughs> I'm Fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah, of course you are. You can say whatever you like. This is a We have so, free speech on this, yeah, but yeah. I, I've always thought it was, I just never liked the look of it. So that, you know, this is sort of more of that. So I don't know that I particularly like the look of it. I much prefer the look of the, uh, the UDO Super 6 that's behind me. Um, however, that layout like the super six which is obviously based on that kind of rodent layout it is very uh it is very practical everything's laid out in a very intuitive way so i think that this uh i think that this would tick so many boxes i think heimbach's bang on in 
brilliant stage keyboard and clearly XLR outputs as well actually which is a nice touch yeah nice touch yeah and having the rd you know the rd pianos in there as well um you know it, it sort of is this thing that it's it's like a bit like a workstation it, i don't th- is there a sequencer in there uh, i know there's, yeah, there's everything it's got it's got the ir pedjator it's right. got all of that stuff right. i mean it's yeah everything's uh, there you know so so I know some people are kind of going, oh, there's too, it, it's too much. It does too much. But I'm kind of thinking that I think they, I think this, I think looks absolutely brilliant as a product personally, other than the, 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 the color scheme, which I'm not keen on. Um, but I think it does, uh, I think it does everything kind of right as it, as, as I think it should, uh, uh, you know, that all of that accessibility uh, in that familiar way. And it's got that nice kind of readable easy to kind of yeah. understand power. well that's that that's assuming you know because those are the juno type parameters i mean the thing is the jupiter xm which i had in for review and i, I sent it back because i counted and it took me 18 button presses to get to the <laughs> oscillator 2d tune and i just thought right. that is not what i want in my life matt um, do you think this is something that your student i mean it seems like it would do loads i mean we know it sounds great you've got models of you can put models of juno 6 juno 106 you know it's got all of that stuff in it and they do sound very mm. good i mean we know that it's just it is the experience what's the experience like and uh, yeah uh, yeah it depends I mean, what you're using it for i suppose well yeah i mean for students it's, it's not really entry level because of the price but neither is a second hand or sorry or original version of a 106 or a 60 is it i mean they go for loads um and students tend to shy away from workstations and if you ask me this is a workstation they're just not calling it that, you know, it's, it's five part, one of them's rhythm. Then you've got four other parts. It's a work, it's a multi-timbral workstation with Juno written on it using the same to- technology as I understand it, that they've already got in the cloud or on your laptop in a very expensive box. And that doesn't quite work for me. Yes, there is new, f- yeah, they've taken features beyond what the original Juno could do like the iarpeggiator, the effects on the master section, um, the delays and, and all that kind of stuff, the stuff that didn't exist. Wicked. Happy days. And in fact, the, the arpeggiator is really, really cool, actually. I must yeah, say. Yeah, I've heard it's it is. Got, yeah. It's got like randomization and probability and all that kind of stuff, which is great. But I, I would, I'd rather pay 1,700 quid for, for Roland to go and make an affordable, well, an affordable, an analog version of this, which has got expanded abilities. I'd pay I'd pay three thousand pound or something for a modern day Juno that they've made. It's analog, so it stays in tune a lot. I I sold my Juno sixty because it was getting ridiculous the amount of maintenance I had to do on it. So something that works stays in tune, but is expanded upon from the original without me having to use like I don't need five parts. I'm not I'm not buying it for that. I don't want menus really. Um, but I would love to see effects on it and maybe patch points like the Soma thing and using crocodile clips and, you know, take the Juno that direction, not mm. into a workstation. That's that's my take on this. I suppose, yeah, I suppose the thing is you're building on this kind of legacy, which is fine and everybody, you know, there, there is a demand for it, but you're, you're, you're just sort of expanding what 
the, the sort of sounds that these synths have made for nearly 40 years. So you're not necessarily getting a, a kind of a new palette. I mean, I think if you want that, I would totally recommend the Boutique, the Boutique JX08. Yeah. That is absolutely brilliant. Now, it's, uh, absolutely. it's got 20 voices. It's got really easy to use by timbral effects on each really side, horrible. you know, and it, it sounded really good. I don't care whether it's analog or digital, which maybe will link to another thing that we've got. I don't know. I just think, uh, I think there are other options out there, but this is, you know, this, this feels mm. like, it could work for for certain people, but it just seems like it. They they went too expensive. Maybe I just you know we don't need. Uh, do we need I, I, I the entire? I don't Sorry. agree. I I think this is a proper good stage. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I think that's where I think that's where it will really shine, and I think they've done a great job for that. Purpose. Right. I suppose the Juno has always been seen, you know, the Juno range, we have the Juno G, Juno DI, you know, all of, the, all of those things. I reviewed them, you know, and they were seen to be cheaper, lower cost, you know. Uh, this doesn't seem to be cheaper or lower cost, or maybe it's just coincided with the fact that everything's gone up by 30% or so. So, you know, it would have been 30% cheaper, but it can't be anymore. I suppose that's, you know, that's that's another thing, in fact, we have to bear in mind as well. Uh, but, yeah, it's out there in the world, Um and uh, nice demo by David, uh, as ever. We should be seeing him um, uh, here or in Subbooth or somewhere around the place. Okay, um, I'm going to just drop another uh, message in because we've got our friends over at uh, Baby Audio, and uh, I am uh, keen that you find out about their stuff, and they're a new sponsor. So I'm doing the I'm doing the right thing. <laughs> here we go. Yeah, so uh, Baby Audio makes creative effect plugins designed to add colour and depth to your mixes. They won Plugin of the Year 2021 in Future Music and Computer Music and nominated for the SOS Awards two years in a row. You get 15% off when checking out with the code ST15 at babyaudio.com. And once again, we thank them for their support of the show. Very much appreciated. Thank you very much to Baby Audio. Okay, um... Right, uh, oh God, I don't know where to go next. There's just so much. It's, it's, you know, for the last five weeks or so, we've just had to deal with sort of almost nothing. Um, it's, it's really disappointing, <laughs> which is fine because we can talk for ages. I mean, with guests of your caliber, gentlemen, uh, it's absolutely no problem whatsoever. I suppose we should also have a quick shout for the fact that the syntax was released, uh, and I think that should be. I think that was this one. Yeah, this is the. Hmm. So we talked about it, we thought what it was going to be, and it came out, and it is actually a 12-voice digitax style digitone-shaped uh, machine. Lots of people had their hands on it, apart from us, which is a bit disappointing, but hey, that's the way it goes. Out there now, it's uh, 999. They've got a lot of... Um, they, they did a bunch of uh, rationalization of the, the machinery and the, the kind of controls. And I think we're going to start seeing that coming out in future OSs. So the knobs will always be in the same position because sometimes the machine, you know, different machine, you'd have the release over here rather than always in the same place. So all of this stuff. I don't know. Um, hi, back. Have you, have you, I can't remember if you're an electron fiend or not. I suspect you might have a, one or two items, but I could be wrong. I had a few. And I moderated some talks at Electron here in Berlin and at their showroom. And uh, I kept the Digitone, which I really, really love. It's a fantastic synthesizer. And with the Digitect, I made an album where I sampled things that uh, people on my subreddit and Patreon had sent in. And I used the Digitect to mangle all of that up. But in the end, I decided I'm not a Groovebox person. So I only kept the synthesizerish one, which is the Digitone. Mm. And I looked at this one and it seems very, very interesting. I have no idea how it sounds in person. I have no idea how it works. And 
definitely something I'm curious to check out because I love the form factor and the ease of use I find on the tall text series. Yeah, I think I think you'll find a lot of similarities. You know, all the parameter lock, a lot of it is very, very familiar, and they've just got they've got engines from the tone and the tact, uh, not the tact, the tone and the uh, rhythm, and uh, some other. You know, they've they've got developed a load of machines over the years, and I think they've started to use a lot of them. No samples on this one, and also each track is monophonic, so I don't know if we can play chords on it, which was always, you know, the the thing because they the digitone sat and the analog four do sound lovely. There is analog going on in it. I know, uh, Matt. Have you, uh, did you get bitten by the electron bug at any point? Did you stick with it, or uh... um, I've I did. I've owned um, the what's it? What is it? The uh, the big boy, the mono machine, machine drum, not the machine drum. Machine no, drum. That was the first. No, the one mono machine after that. The Octatrack too. Octatrack. Yes, yeah, so right. I had an Octatrack. Had one of those, um, and then soon upgraded to the Octatrack two. Um, and the way I was using that actually was with uh, interfacing it with the Expert Sleepers uh, FH1. So it would convert the MIDI to CV, which was worked pretty well. In fact, when I played Superbooth, that was my setup then when you, you did my little rig rundown. Um, but um, weirdly enough, the Octatrack resolution of the MIDI would, would bottleneck. It wasn't actually able to spit out enough MIDI notes for me to use that I wanted. So I was doing very fast arpeggiation sometimes to do like weird trills and probability and stuff. So it was a, there was a lot of MIDI information going out of it, but it would bottleneck and it would just stop spitting some of it out. It would kind of go, oh, I'll forget about those ones because I haven't got enough capacity. So that was really annoying. So I, I had to move away from using that. Otherwise, I, I kind of liked it. I was getting my head around it because there is a learning curve with, I think, with all of the Electron stuff. And that's okay. I don't mind there being a learn learning curve if um, you know you're entering into someone else's way of thinking about working with a with a machine, and and, and that's absolutely fine for me, providing it kind of all makes sense and it, and it does eventually work. Now, <coughs> excuse me, this one, this one, and the Digitone, I I haven't really found any anything that sort of connected with me on this, and it might mm. be because. The outputs and are quite small. You know, you've got your left and right output. So for me, if I'm using anything that's got drums or percussion in it, I always want at least one output dedicated to a kick drum, and I'm yeah. going to want at least the stereo left and right for everything else. So well, Overbridge, I mean, of course, you could get each track out of there on Overbridge. I mean, it'll do that, but then you need, uh, you know, you need all of the stuff that goes with that as well. Using Overbridge and using a computer and. and I'm yeah, not yeah, buying yeah. a syntax or whatever to use that. But yeah, fair point, Nick. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe you can repurpose the headphones um, for that, and that'll give you oh, three I outputs. Know. I don't know how that works. If if you could repurpose the headphone to be a, a, an independent output, that'd be ace. Um, but otherwise, these seem like really co cool, creative machines um, that are portable. Stick them in your bag. They've got the uh, overbridge on it, as you say. Happy days, you know, effects. Um yeah, what, what's not to like about them? They seem very creative machines and, and have got some really interesting programming techniques for probabilities. And um, I've forgotten what they're called, but you can choose a step and you can kind of freeze on that particular step. I want particular things to happen. Um, <laughs> but one thing I will say about this, um, they sort of released it via the online radio station from LA called Dublab. I've been listening to Dublab since it started in about, oh, God, 
I don't know, 2002 or something like that. And um, I love that radio station. Um, if anyone wants to listen to sort of, they play such a massive range of music from a lot of artists you've never heard. And it's really inspiring. Go check out Dublab. I think it's just dublab.com. They do okay. live sets and um, they have uh, Daedalus. I don't know if you're familiar with Daedalus. He, he yeah. was on that show for a long time and that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So Dublab, I'm glad they use Dublab and I've got that, some kind of connection with them. That's really cool. Yeah, nice. I know, Gaz. It's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? The, the, this the, people seem to be really digging on it. You know, I mean, most of the the, the, the Bow Beats and uh, Andrew Huang are as you know the, the the YouTube poster frames going the best groove box ever, and maybe it is. You know, uh, you know, if that's what you want, definitely. Well, it, in some ways, it's like a best of electron, isn't it? Um, you know, and best of mono electron. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. I think it looks really, really nice. I mean, it was well, eight hundred and fifty UK pounds, I think. So, what's that? It's probably about. Mm, I'm not it's sure. nine 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 US, yeah. Nine 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 US. Okay, so you know, it's sort of like the the tax series. You know, we that I think when the Digitac came out, it was around the five hundred, I guess, around the six hundred dollar um, mark. So, just following on from talking about this price rises that um seeing these things going up however i think in fairness to electron one thing that you do get with electron is a very long a fantastic support for years and years to come and they've got a terrific history of um bringing out late life updates uh yeah with, that's true with the octa track i made a video about it a couple of years ago um really you know so in terms of if people were on the fence about it and the price of it i do think that you are going to get something that will be you know you know it, it's not going to be unsupported yeah you, sure. you, i think that's a fair point yeah and, and yeah. worth mentioning definitely definitely um yeah and, and i think as well you know having used the digitac and a little bit of the digitone as well um it, i think it strikes that balance uh which is nice of immediacy and you know and ease of use and the you know the the sophistication that electron is known for i don't think there's song mode again i think you can mm. pattern change i don't think you can make songs as such on it i think that's one of the things that the the bigger units the uh the rhythm and what the, are songs anyway it's an outmoded concept in uh in electronic <laughs> music surely <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know they they want these things to be manipulated in real time and um and of course you know being able to then stream record uh, a performance over Overbridge and have all your elements on separate tracks. Yeah, uh, I mean that's the part, that's the superpower, isn't it? I mean now that's actually power. finally working properly. Yeah, and that really yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah, but great, you know, and just things like balance outputs and just various other things of that kind of professional, reliable Electron. Uh, I know some people have had a few issues with Electron products in terms of reliability. I never have, and I've always found them to be really, you know, solid and really well-made products. Uh, and this looks like that it's going to continue uh, in yeah. that way. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, big thumbs up from me. I think it looks brilliant. Excellent. Okay, uh, well, let's let's jump ahead because we get there's a couple more topics I want to get in before, uh, not not least uh, this one from a um, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Heimach himself. There's the Nagra, and I guess you're going to get to see. And it's good to have you back. There we go. We got it eventually. 
the Stuber uh, stereo filter. Another one of these fantastic uh, Kiat Lumbar kind of affiliated wooden banana plug bedazzled. Forest again to record an album for Sire Records. And as usual, I've. Your voice is so hypnotic, hi Matt. It's like really hard to <laughs> just not not kind of want to keep listening to. It. Is it? Are you are you going? Are you do you intentionally go for the sort of ASMR type vibe, or is that just your natural kind of close up VO technique? I. I recorded this outside on the Nagra, so I really had to get in close and speak softly so all the outside noises wouldn't be so loud. So that was like part, yeah, it was part design. And But I also, I wanted to speak softly in this one because the music is very soft. So I thought mm. if I go, I could just go low and soft and yeah. And But I have to say the Nagra adds such a lovely tone to anything it records. So I was, I never tried it in the voice over roll. So I was happy to try it in that way. And, yeah, it worked out fine. Excellent. So, tell us a little bit about the uh, uh, about um, this piece of the Stuber. It, I mean, you you kind of impl you uh, you you tried a great line here because I'm looking at it and it, you don't know what it does really in terms of the patch points. It's sort of mm. the further out you get and the closer you get, you get different rates of randomness and chaos, and it's, it's sort of wonderful chaos without being too chaotic. But it also mm -hmm. seems to have quite a nice sound to it. I mean, did you did you? put everything through it and then master after that or you sub side process i mean what's the what's its actual role i ran everything through the stuber and then into the little alesis ineco for some mm. effects and then into the sony pcm recorder and that was it and i really love the sound because that's one thing that i noticed with all of the processing instrument that uh, peter blesser who's here at lombard does is they just add a roundness to a tone and also somehow when you drive them hard a bit of compression, especially the Coco Quantas. So it's very nice to run stuff to process uh, through, especially the filter and the Coco Quantas. And that filter, it's, I, at first I was irritated because I kept hearing little clickety clickety noises. I was wondering, what is that? And then I realized, okay, that's actually a modulation circuit called Parasites. And <laughs> this is basically, the, you're listening to the switching power supply and you can use that as modulation that's so cool wow. and then you can also get rid of it by patching like a few things like two cables into the ground and then it's completely clear but it's i think that just speaks for the genius that peter blesser has in like finding ways to make things interesting that normally as a designer you would say no i don't want this parasitic noise why would i even and would immediately ground it so it wouldn't be no here it's an option so you can play with it and it's sonically fantastic and of course you can make a complete mess out of everything but again for resonant filter it's very soft and mm. again that's the thing with i find with the seat lombard even at its harshest it's not like annoying there's not like sharp there's not so much sharp. It's wood, woody, as uh, as Monty Python might say. It's a more of a woody sound <laughs> than a tinny sound. <laughs> Absolutely, it, it like the look matches the sound. And I've played yeah. these all over the world now, and I've always noticed the sound is always rounded. I mean, I still keep a compressor on the master bus just to be safe, but honestly, I really don't need that. It's more like a volume knob now. So it's right. just. Uh, a wonderful, wonderful sonic design, and so playful because of these, yeah, these big discs that you spin. It's nice, uh, Matt. Have you seen these the, the, these kind of wooden modules and this this whole uh, the idea of this bespoke stuff 
It's everywhere. Yeah. I mean, you see, you see, um, uh, Ian Body uses them. I think Richard Devine uses them. I mean, yeah. you see them everywhere. They seem to, and, um, oh gosh, I can't remember what his name is now. I, I might, might have still got slight fog here. They look really nice. And there's something about, I mean, obviously they're not mass produced. So there's a cachet. Yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with the, is it the Coca Qantas? Is that how it's pronounced? I think I'm familiar with that one. Um, in fact, I think coming back when we played that gig together, I think he was using one. I think at that time for live, and it was it sounded great through a PA. Um, I haven't used them myself at all. I'm not familiar with them, but what I love is everyone who has used them, and including what Heinbach's just saying, the connection that the person's having with that unit seems to be, um, you know, very different to well, any of the products we've just been talking about really on here, any of the Electron, any of the Roland stuff and that kind of thing, This, this, um, the fact that you're actually able to engage with the actual properties of the device, such as um, you mentioned, you, could, you can actually use the switching filter capacities or whatever, and you can actually interact with that. I mean, that from a music production level and a music creator level, that's just gonna that surely you've got to recognize that that's making you think about how you're approaching music and and what what the tools are that you're using and how that's influencing you rather than just something like you just get it out of the box and you plug it in and you press play and you play around with a filter and, and that's it you know it goes deeper than that and i think that's what i like about these units um, I'm a little bit skeptical of them because I'm <laughs> I'm afraid that if I buy one, I'm going <laughs> to buy them all, and um, and I'll I'll go off on a whole other rabbit hole with them. Um, but um, I, I I just love the way that people talk about them and the connection that they have, and I, and I I think that's a very important thing um, that we often over overlook in a lot of the things like you know the Juno that's just come out you know really what does it have to offer when you've got something like this which is it's it's bringing something so new to the table and i and i think a big important aspect f for us music producers is that is that connection so um yeah. Well, we're getting we're, we're getting into the notion of we're getting into the notion of this sort of uh, which was a sort of theme for the show which I haven't actually really introduced at all yet but this notion of aesthetic being yeah. a driving force into what we buy and and you know you you started off Matt by saying you didn't actually you know, you didn't buy things by the way they look, but this sort of seems to have a lot of that. Gaz, I, I know you haven't had a, a, a said anything on this. I mean, you, your journey into module, this stuff seems very much more based around a more of a standalone. It's the sort of thing that you would buy. And because it's got banana plugs or whatever, you know, you, it, 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 it distances itself from the crowd, shall we say? Yeah. Um, I, yeah. These are totally new to me. Um, and I'd love to, I'd love to get hands on with them. Um, so am I right then thinking nothing's labelled on it then? So it really is a bit of just you have to figure it out. I mean, well, none of the not, connections. There isn't a lot of other stuff going on, uh, stuff going on as far as I could tell. But, yeah, mm -hmm. essentially. <laughs> okay, interesting. Um, yeah, brilliant. I mean, I love everything <laughs> like, like this. I mean, it looks really – well, how much is it, by the way? Is, I mean, are we talking big bucks? I think it's uh, uh, like 1700 I think, yeah. Right, so, so I they're guess made it's like not not you know it's a proper boutique uh, niche, I guess. Yeah. Mm. 
yeah, the wood, like everything is sourced uh, like in Europe. And yeah, my friend Darren makes them and uh, he makes them uh, for Peter basically. And they've got a lovely wood shop out a little bit outside of Berlin. And it's, it's really a little cottage industry. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. So and they can't make they can't make big volumes of them because the process takes a long time and the 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 oiling of the wood and everything it's it's oh. not a fast product to make and no. not an easy one also a lot of jacks to be soldered and but one thing like one why there's no labeling that comes from one idea is basically you're circuit bending the instrument while you play it so you're finding out all these connections you know so it's not like something might work for you but it might not work for somebody else because maybe your resistance of the hands is different so it becomes so personal quickly and peter peter like there's a version where you can just put screws on there and then he recommends putting in leather studs like you know like you have on your on your punk uh, leather vest and stuff like that (laughs) and then it becomes a a weapon Uh, but no b you can like put worms on it and there's uh, and Peter did oh. that. He did a performance by p- letting worms play the instrument, making the connections. <laughs> wow. Okay. wow. Definitely okay. niche then. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I have, a, I have a friend who is absolutely phobic about worms and uh, she, wow. yeah, she'd never... She, but uh, it, yeah, it's cool I though. Mean, it brings to mind buying a really nice guitar that's got beautiful wood and, you know, that you could buy a guitar that sort of does the same thing for like 50 quid or something, uh, or buy a, you know, beautifully made guitar for many thousands. Um, you know, there is something to be said for having a very beautifully made thing. Um, and the, the price of that is difficult to, to kind of quantify based on its feature set, I suppose, or, or it's kind of how useful it is. Um, but yeah wow okay interesting really nice i'm really glad things like this exist and that's that's number one i think the world is a better place for these kind of things yeah i would agree with that and i think that's fair enough um right okay uh, we this did open up this idea of this aesthetic but i think because i want to get this topic in and uh, maybe we can revisit that at another time it, uh, that can we can leave that one hanging home back so that you, that means you have to come back and talk about your aesthetic because oh, as we know your pleasure. your equipment and a lot of your stuff is massively impractical you can't carry it around and it's big old-fashioned <laughs> test equipment which is great and, and i i know some people who've got some of those things those bnk uh frequency filter notch filters and stuff and they they are just you gravitate towards them you can't help but want to use them even if they're kind of quite impractical in many ways so uh, maybe we'll we'll park that and use it another time so this is the the next topic that i wanted to get onto and there isn't really uh, a kind of uh, page apart from this is the cherry audio hard versus soft and uh, yes i mean first first thing is obviously this is uh completely uh no i should have uh i thought i had a way to do this oh no i haven't this is completely um uh what's the word uh biased i'm trying to find my mouse there we go but this is a challenge cherry audio challenge hardware or software i think i did press the button did i yes i think it got in there okay anyway it is now so the challenge is there's i think there were six items here and you've got an a and a b and you go which is the hardware Which is hardware, which is software. And it's some of them, are, they're quite difficult, shall we say. Um, but it's an interesting idea because obviously Cherry Audio, as we know, have been doing a lot of emulations. And we know that 
there's a, a really you know it is it, you know it used to be the case that it was absolutely no problem to to identify because the emulations weren't very good and the cpu power wasn't enough and it was just you know there were lots of factors which would make that and this is just a, 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 an amusing i mean, I guess it's amusing um they don't tell you which was the hardware in the end you don't say yes this was that and that was that they it's it's very kind of agnostic from that point of view which is fair play they haven't used it as a as a way to plug sherry audio stuff now matt i know you you did well i have to confess i did uh really really badly i did um (laughs) i got one out of six which i'm very disappointed i was listening and i was kind of trying to listen i was trying to listen for imperfection and sort of modulations that were more random and i thought i had and i just wasn't i was off i was miles off i was just you know yeah that's what i did i was when i was listening to it and i got four out of six by the way uh, <laughs> what did you listen on what did you listen on my laptop speakers yeah so did i just my macbook Damn. pro speakers and i was listening out for exactly the same thing for you i was listening out for i thought it was quite easy to hear on on most of them obviously not all of them um very accurate like filter sweeps or mm. um pwm i mean nick i hope you got the pwm one right and, I don't um, know. I can't remember. I never went back. I'm a bit traumatized, yeah, to be you, honest. Which one you got right and which <laughs> exactly. one you got wrong. But, um, yeah, I, I went for all the ones which sounded a little bit sloppy, a bit fuzzy, a little bit off. And the digital ones, I, I, just, I just gravitate for those ones that just sounded really, really accurate. But what this is, what's interesting about this, and I'm, I'm really glad this has kind of come up because it says on their website 3,274 people have done this test. 50% of correct correctly guessed which shows us really i mean it's not scientific it's not academic but it goes a long way to show us we're at that point now where it's almost indistinguishable isn't it i mean and, and that's why i suppose people like roland have developed their all their synthesizers in the digital format in the cloud and and, and all of that so i think we're at that point now and i think those conversations i mean they stopped for me in fact, I don't think there's really ever been that conversation for me where it's analog over digital. It's just really not ever been. It, it, for me, these things, anything that makes a sound, it's do I connect with it? Can I use it uh, in the way that I want, whether that's making beats with it or making some weird sounds or or just for sampling it or whatever. That's that's what it's always been about for me. And, I, you know, I don't think we, we have those conversations anymore about, you know, logic sounds better than Ableton or, um, or you know, I think those conversations are kind of coming behind us now and, and I'm just hopeful we can move on from from all of that. Um, I suppose the only, only time I have those sort of things is when I'm using this and I might have two analog oscillators, which might be quite wildly different or track differently. That's really yeah. when the conversation comes up for me. It's like, ah, you know, that's a bit annoying. It's, yeah. it's not tracking right. But then it makes you think, well, how can I use that? You know, how can I do that? For the, for the whole of the past year, every single track that I released at once a month, um, I never tuned the oscillators to pitch perfect. I just tuned them, tuned one to by each other. Yeah, I just, I tuned one, sort of came up with a riff. And I had no idea what key, it, what it was tuned to, and then I'm just tuning all the rest to that. And I found that I, I, I um, the result was more interesting than tuning everything to 
see Pitch Perfect or 440 Hertz or whatever, and then writing a song. I just found yeah, that that's by interesting. Having these yeah, by having this in synchronous is that a word um, yeah unsynchronous. That, that'll do yeah the outcome was you can have that as the title um that the um but the output was was more interesting for me so um yeah uh, in the interest of science, uh, I've just done a random selection and I got four out of six right without listening to any of them. Um, so that just shows <laughs> I did better. Uh, so I did better by not listening to any of them than I did by actually listening to them, which I, I, I don't know what that says about me or the test or anything, but perhaps I'll maybe I should cut that out of the show because it really does mess with my credentials. But to, in answer to your non-tuning, I tried that. I used to do that. But then what would happen is if I was reviewing something and I had to come back in and, ch and, and have another go, and I didn't have the oscillators tuned to a fixed note, I could never match up the shots because the oscillators would be out of sync with each other. And uh, Heimbach, did you, uh, did, did you try the test? I imagine uh, you did okay. I have five out of six. And oh, I know okay. which one I got wrong because two examples were so different from each other that it was like not even comparing like the same thing. So I, for there was like, okay, they are random basically. And yeah, but I listened on like these here. So oh, uh, right. that's probably what I should have done. That's like that's like using a microscope. So <laughs> I could and <laughs> I've been working on um, basically yeah digital versions of some of the strangest analog hardware. Like I'm just looking at the Soviet wire recorder. And a lot of that process for me was fine tuning and fine tuning and fine tuning and then just giving feedback to Carlo from audio thing. Okay, can this sound a bit more like this? Can this sound more a bit like this? Or then on gong amp, trying to get a physical model of the chains that are rattling against the gong correct, or even something like the fuzzy mode on noises where I basically showed, look, I'm, I'm, this is how I would play a knob on a brilliant care. And he tried to like interpret my jerky movements into something like an LFO form that would be kind of random, but more chaotic. So more chaotic than pure random. So like a purpose in build. So I've spent wow. a lot of time like, yeah, basically trying to get digital to sound as good uh, or even different or more like a different version of the original as possible. So I kind of know what to listen for. And now it's become kind of intuitive. So I I couldn't really tell you what it is. It's just like, ah, yeah, this, ah, yeah, this. And I think it has to do with what you're saying about like perfections and stuff. And uh, Matt, I think you said like, also like looking for, searching for the ones that don't sound the best. And I think that's also true because um, yeah, there is so much variance in there. And yeah, mm. for me, yeah. I could hear that, at least with these big ass headphones. I wish I had done that. I felt, I, I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to know this, obviously, because, you know, it's what I do for a living, but I don't actually do that forensic listening. I suspect, Gaz, you probably did well because your ears tuned to mastering as well. So you're maybe used to those little t tinkering imperfections. I don't um, know, how did you do? If I'd have done my homework, uh, 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 I, that's I what I should have done. I have not. <laughs> I, yeah, I have not time. Sorry, um, that that result. That's yeah. the one I got. It's four out of uh, six. Is what I did. I, uh, I will. Okay, I get you. I feel bad now. I haven't done it. Uh, I do get a little bit nervous. It is a bit nervous to do things, isn't it? If you kind of, um, you know, 
expose yourself live as it were yeah <laughs> yeah um i always think about that uh th- those audio files all gathered in spain i think it was about 15 years ago all like uh, doing a blind listening test to uh to like an incredibly expensive hi-fi and then one that was just just pretty cheap things with really cheap interconnects and stuff and the majority of the audio files went for the cheap rig <laughs> and uh you know it's like oh dear um i, I mean, think you, you need know. to i think you need to start training for something like this you need to kind of listen yeah. get, it's, it's like yeah. um wine tasting or cheese or something or trying to match food stuffs together you, you don't yeah. automatically notice it or when someone's telling you about art and they go you see that thing there that's and you right. go ah right you get your eye in and then that's the time to do it maybe yeah. that's my mistake that's my excuse yeah. and i'm sticking to it yeah, I mean, I haven't done this test, I'm afraid, but I have done lots and lots of tests, uh, listening tests over the last, you know, well, for years, really. And um, when I'm doing, uh, if I'm doing, um, like, say, uh, preamp comparisons, I mean, we've often talked about the the tambourine test is a brilliant. Yeah. Is, is, tambourine is a great instrument to uh, to focus on because then you can, you've got a very specific thing that you're listening to there. You're listening to that transients the way the high end interacts with it and you know it's uh and, and i i often will focus on things like symbols or hi-hats uh, as a way to to really lock on to to then yeah, but it, i i do find it really hard and um and that thing about what is best as well is different but which do you, you know it's uh, sorry this is off tangent because i haven't done my homework but um yeah, sorry <laughs> keep going keep going well uh, yeah <laughs> yeah no i i take your point i mean but i think you're right it's like because w- with no prior knowledge we don't know mm. what any of these you know if it said the first one is an sh101 let's say and then those of you from you might go okay i will adjust my mindset because i know what that sounds like but because you don't know what either one of them is you have no point of reference so it's a it's it's kind of a shock but it's but it, right. but much the same as most people if i make a track or any of us make a track whether i use an analog piece of equipment or a cheap plug-in because i was in a hurry it doesn't matter if the music if the people react to the music in a way that's positive who cares? And I suppose it debunks yeah. the whole notion of analog is always better. And analog is often better just purely because of the the proper chaotic nature yeah. of circuits. It's yeah. easier to make that than it is to model it. I always feel that distortion is the real, the the one that you can, that, oh, to me always, analog distortion always sounds analog, you know, or, or uh, that's that's the one area. I thought it was filters, but then I heard fantastic filter, digital filters. Um, I mean, I've heard fantastic digital distortion for sure, but uh, I always feel that, that, that there's some sort of 3D quality or something, something that's difficult to put my finger on uh, with analog distortion. Um, but there is that thing as well that when something just is because it's the real thing doing and distorting in the real world in you know as opposed to some form of emulation the the actual thing is always going to be you know is the authentic thing doesn't necessarily mean it's going to sound better though you know um that's where that subjective thing of what is what is good what is yeah well you get things that change over time don't you i mean it's it's like one thing that uh digital synths or software emulations don't always get right is the what happens when you turn the oscillator up when you're driving into the filter some of them don't bother at all so you don't get any kind of modification which is fine and some of them 
really spend a lot of time on it and you really you know you can appreciate the difference and so you get that quality and that that does make a difference and i guess in your world i'm back you know with all that analog equipment the amount of stuff you you force into it at what pressure and what level really greatly affects what the sound mm. of it is right absolutely especially i'm i i can't turn this camera around but i'm surrounded by eight scientific filters here and all of these have like 160 200 decibels of gain and stuff like that because they were like you look you use those to look at electrons flying in uh, in a collider or something and when you get into these insane gain reserves uh where you've got an amplifier here a bandpass filter there and then an output amplifier again it's just incredible what fantastic distortions you can get. I've just been working with an Excel line simulator, which is basically meant to simulate a, a communications line through the Atlantic. And <laughs> you get, it's, I made a feedback patch and my uh, Obatosh, who does my repairs, was, uh, just had brought the unit back and he was like, no, I should have brought you your electronium, not this one, because it sounded so gorgeous. And for me, like the real beauty is like feedback. In feedback, as you can see, like you reveal how the instrument, any instrument behaves under pressure. You're basically breaking it. And there, beautiful things happen. And analog does that oftentimes a bit better than digital because there's not this ceiling. In digital, you find you're like, pushing against the ceiling in analog the ceiling is like how much gain can your mixer handle or how many inline pads can you put in there mm, yeah yeah no interesting um yeah cool well I, I think we might be um at a point where it would be pertinent to uh, to, to to stop well, the show finish yeah, up oh, oh sorry guys yeah there's a couple there's a couple of really kind of both kind of sad things that i think we should sort of acknowledge i mean the passing of klaus schultz is huge oh my Mm -hmm. Has that just happened? Oh, I yeah, know. I think maybe yesterday, I think. Uh, so, yeah. so uh, you know, absolute legend. Uh, and I know that Jörg Schaaf of Radical Technologies, I'm sure, will be sad having he's made a, four albums with Klaus. Um, oh, wow. But, um, yeah, so that's, uh, you know, something... Yeah, something that we should acknowledge, I think. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I mean, it's it's never, yeah. I always find these th these are difficult moments because sometimes you sort of think, you know, it's very sad, but in other ways, you know, you get a chance to re-evaluate and reconsider somebody's work and kind of enjoy the mark they made, which I think is, you know, we should probably still do while we're alive, but we don't often. <laughs> so that's, that's one positive thing. Uh, was there something else, Matt? Did you have something yeah. you wanted to add? No, it was actually just that point. So thanks ah. for bringing that up, Gaz. I, I think that was, yeah, well said, mate. Thanks. Dead. But the other sad news is uh, is uh, Emily Gillette pulling out of modular uh, mutable instruments, you know, uh, which, you know, I've only recently arrived in modular world. And the one thing that's become abundantly clear to me is that, uh, I mean, there's lots of geniuses in 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 modular makers, but perhaps the gene, the genius, the the, the greatest, is you know mutable instruments and uh, the absolutely astonishing um, and creative, unbelievable things. Um, DSP superstar, as we've said before, haven't we? With about yeah. uh, Emily, yeah. So t for her to. Say, say that that's it, the end of the line. And the, a whole bunch of modules have now been discontinued, including marbles, which is central to my live rig. Um, 
but also all of the other modules are all going to be ended as soon as everything's coming to an end and there's going to be no new no new ones either i, I you know what i i can i think there may be uh, a number of reasons for that but i should imagine one of them is just how difficult it is to maintain a manufacturing process for products that have spanned the kind of before covid and before the akm fire to now Whoops! Hope there was nothing uh, to. <laughs> uh, so I think there may be no, not that time. It was for once. <laughs> uh, so I think there may be a kind of like I say, a pr that might be a big factor. I don't know how big you are into modular um, high back, you know, in terms of whether you have a big system or what, what not. But I mean, you yeah, know, there's, there's no a bit behind me. Yeah, oh, I see. Yes, well, that entire wall. Yes, oh, I should have, I should have spotted it. <laughs> that is sad news, but I can understand why. And 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 the thing is, is uh, at least a lot of that, uh, a lot of that code is open source. So we'll still see it and possibly improved upon or you know, spun off from. So that's at least something. <laughs> Me. Oh, sorry. Oh, yes. Uh, sorry. Yeah, of course. <laughs> ah, I didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's something I, I, I thought like it was kind of announced like a year ago already or like uh, I read about it that Mutable would come to an end at some point. So I wasn't that surprised that yeah. it happened now. And uh, but yeah, it's genius stuff so i haven't yeah. been too much into eurorack in the past time because yeah after like my problem was at some point i kept always rejiggling my life instrument and i was playing live with the modular and when i discovered seat lombard i was just at peace because i don't need to rejiggle anything <laughs> so i found an instrument that i could really rehearse and learn and not keep like exchanging this vca for this lpg and this filter for this forever <laughs> so that so now my my modular is mostly for sound design and controlling for example the big soviet drum machine and doing all kinds of right. stuff and granular stuff maybe but more studio so i haven't been keeping that up to date with what's going on in the world but yeah and fair enough forget of course um, all of the code for emily's modules um, are open source so yeah, obviously that quite. people are taking that and building their own. I mean, I've, I've got a number of mutable stuff here, some original and some not. And usually that's because when I'm playing live, I, I need to cram in as many modules as I can small. So I get some of the versions like clouds, for example, I've got a couple of those that are six HP instead of 12 or something like that. 14. What's that? Which one? The clouds, did you say? Yeah, clouds. I've got clouds, and I've got a couple of um, they call shutters, which I think is veils. Um, and I've got a couple, couple of the oscillators as well, braids as well. And braids is so much smaller as well. So that mm. was an interesting move, and and that that's fair enough. And and it, I think I think that's something that um, I'm very respectful of is the fact that Emily gave the world all that hard code all that hard work and went there you go have it yeah. and now pulling out the modular scene completely um i mean what a legacy and what yeah absolutely and i do i mean i i know that a lot of the uh them together with uh forum uh um with uh, make noise uh mutable instruments are, are amongst the best-selling modules of all time ever so i i hope 
that uh, she's able to retire from it in uh, in a manner in which she's accustomed to and can live a, a full and uh, enjoyable uh, and well-funded life as a result of her work and afford to be able to give that stuff away without any great uh, any great hardship. Okay, um, I think it's probably time we uh, we say goodbye to everybody. Heimbach, thank you so much for joining us. I'm really pleased that you managed to get on the show and uh, we, we managed to hook it all up. Um, you're welcome anytime. I'm happy to put you on the list and uh, so you can jump in at any time you if, that, if that's not too much of a presumption. But we will see you in Superbooth, presumably. Will, will we see you there? Yes, we will. Uh, you will. And uh, I'll bring my I bring a lot of like heavy 50s equipment there and do a talk <laughs> on like old school <laughs> techniques in the, uh, and uh, do some proper ring modulation. <laughs> nice. That sounds like a yeah. talk I need to be involved in. Thank you very much. And Matt, thanks for joining us too. Um, and uh, we will hopefully see you again. before We've got a few weeks before Superbooth, but hopefully we'll see you there as well, where we can actually meet in person, which would be random. That would be nice. Always lovely to see the Sonic um, talk crew in person, in flesh, and uh, sit down with you all and see that you actually do exist and we're not just yeah. pixels on a screen and that kind of thing. And the same goes for everyone who tunes in regularly. Um, and obviously any of our subscribers individually, I'm sure we, we all look forward to seeing you there. So if you see us walking around, do tap us on the shoulder and um, buy us a buy us a beer or something yeah absolutely apart from if i'm in the middle of filming but any other time is absolutely yeah. fine <laughs> yeah, yeah. gas um thank you again for joining us uh, as well i hope your eye gets better soon i don't know if you decided whether you're going to stream or not to stream well, um, I, yeah i mean i do you know what i'm going to do i am going to stream uh, but I, this is going to be it's going to be extremely boring i realized i've got to rewire my live modular rig and i was going to do that uh, so I'm just, I'll do that. I'm going to rewire my rig. So if you want to join me for that, then 8 p.m. on my YouTube channel tonight. Wow. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah. No. That's. I mean, it takes all sorts. Not everything can be 100 miles an hour. We need to have light and shade. So I appreciate you for taking on that responsibility, Gaz. Thank you very much. <laughs> right. Um, okay. That's it for this week. Thank you very much, everybody. Um, that was Sonic Talk episode uh, 612. We'll see you all. Um, at the next one. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye now.